seeing is believing, or believing is seeing. That's what we are going to be looking at in our message uh, this afternoon as we see that God leads us through periods of doubt sometimes so that we may grow in our faith commitment with him. From the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, chapter 20. If you're looking through your Bibles in the pews, you'll find that on page 1077. John chapter 20. I'll pick up the reading at verse 19. And I will highlight which ones will be the verse, the text actually of the message. This is presented to us in the setting of the resurrection day. That first resurrection day, Jesus has just risen from the dead and has appeared to Mary Magdalene. And then we pick up the reading that that evening of the resurrection day. We read the following as he appears to his disciples. On the evening of that day, that first resurrection day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hand and his sides, hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, a dialogue between Jesus and Thomas, which is our text, verses 24 to 29, the text for our message. Listen up. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he, that is Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be, do not be disbelief, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and then yet have believed. I'll also comment on verses 30 and 31 now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which, were, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Indeed, probably one of the most widely accepted ideas 
in our secular world today is the one that we often sometimes trip up and repeat ourselves that we say, seeing is believing. We won't believe that certain things have happened or are taking place unless we see it with our own eyes. The senses are important for us in order to have concrete evidence of anything that we will be presented. Either our sight by seeing or by smelling it. Oh yeah, now I know there's a fire because I smell it. Or by our hearing or by our tasting or by our touching and feeling. All of these senses are important to us as, as we look for concrete evidence for anything that goes on in our world today. Well, we're not alone. In that human instinct of ours, consider back in, to the pages of the Old Testament with Abraham, 100 years old, his wife, 90 years old, and they are told that they are going to have a baby. They didn't believe it right away until Sarah felt that baby kicking in her womb. Think of a similar situation of an older couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth at the time just before Jesus Christ, around the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, with John the Baptist being foretold and Zechariah being told that his wife, who was barren, well on beyond the age of childbearing years, was told that she would have a child and that they should call this child John. John. Zechariah didn't believe, and for the duration of the pregnancy, he was not able to speak. As a reminder of him also falling into this trap, as we are prone to, of believing that seeing is believing. As we go to Thomas, we have yet another incident of this as Thomas himself, as we shall see, expresses this concept of seeing is believing. It's important for us as we think this through that this passage is in the scriptures just before John presents the reason why he writes the Gospel of John. In verse 30, we read, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But he's referring to this book, and he says now that this book is written, led by God's Spirit, with a specific purpose. What is that purpose? It is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you are doing a study of the Gospel of John in, in a formal seminary class or in an informal Bible study, you will need to focus on this text in every one of the lessons that you are learning from the Gospel of John. His purpose is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's why he wrote the Gospel. 
And it is in that context that we have this dialogue between Jesus and Thomas. I want to see four things with you, looking through these verses. First, we see in the dialogue that goes on in verses 24 and 25 that Thomas expresses his doubt. And then in verse 26 and 27, Jesus responds to Thomas's declaration of doubt. Thirdly, we read in verse 28 that Thomas has a wow moment and openly confesses his faith in Jesus Christ. We'll look at that too. And then in verse 29, Jesus, as always he does, has the last word in any dialogue or conversation that we might have. And we'll look at that. First then, let's look at Thomas's statement of doubt in verses 24 and 25. This is not the first time that we meet Thomas in the Gospel of John. Colorful character. Open. And also one of who shows his loyalty and his pessimism. Loyalty to Christ and his pessimism. If he sees a glass that's even a quarter empty, he sees that quarter empty spot. He doesn't see the glass that's rest of the way full. That's Thomas, pessimist. We meet him first in John chapter 11, verse 16, where he demonstrates his pessimism. And in John chapter 11, verse 16, just before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he tells the disciples that he's going to go see Lazarus. And Thomas, being the pessimist that he is, thinks that they're all going to die. That Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. And he says, in his loyalty, well then let us go with you. Demonstrating his loyalty. He also is very open and just says what's on his mind. He doesn't worry what other disciples might be thinking. In John chapter 14, verse 5, Jesus has been telling his disciples about the mansions that he has prepared for them in glory. And Thomas listening to this, and surely all the disciples had the same question. But they didn't want to say anything in front of their fellow disciples. But Thomas, no, no, he just says what's on his mind. And he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? He just expresses what's on his mind openly. Never mind what everyone else might think. That's Thomas. Is it any wonder then that we have the account of Thomas that we have before us in terms of him just blurting out what he thinks in front of the disciples and speaking to Jesus himself and his declaration of doubt. It's a week now, at this moment, verses 24 and following, a week after the resurrection. And we read that Jesus, of course, now what we had just read before, the verses 19 to 23, that Jesus had been with his disciples and had showed himself to his disciples, but Thomas was not there during the week. You can imagine the disciples telling Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas going, mm-mm, mm-mm, no, that can't be. That can't pessimist, right? That can't be. And when he is told that his disciples, his fellow disciples, have seen the Lord. His response is emphatic. 
He says in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails, unless I place my hand into his side, that strong statement, I will never believe. Thomas declaring, seeing is believing. Unless I feel it, see it, touch it, experience it, I will not believe. Caught into the trap that is a part of our own sinful human nature. Well, we give Thomas bad press, don't we? We call him what? That you can all say it together, doubting Thomas. Well, you must remember that the disciples in this moment have already seen Jesus. They had had their moments of doubt throughout Jesus' ministry too. It's not just Thomas that has his moment of doubt here. Although he expresses it quite openly, not embarrassed to say it. The other disciples had their many moments of doubt throughout Jesus' ministry. Unbelieving, not sure, doubt. Do you ever doubt? He said, oh, no, no, not me. I, I have faith. Do you? Doubt is a tool used by Satan to introduce sin into the world. Satan said to Adam or to Eve, did God really tell you that you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve said, yes, that's what he told us. But the way you asked that question, are you suggesting doubt, right? Are you suggesting maybe he meant something different than what he really said? And, and maybe, maybe it's okay to take from that? Maybe, doubt. She takes the fruit of the tree. Oh, this is good. Gives it to Adam. He takes, partakes as well. Sin enters the world. Through the influence of Satan. Through doubt. Which is the complete opposite of faith, which we shall see. Do you ever doubt? When you see things happening in our world today and ask yourself, God... Where are you? Or experience others asking you that question, is there really a God when he allows such and such a thing to happen? Well-known, trusted Christians writing a plethora of many books of good topics falling into sin in their lives. And don't we then begin to ask ourselves, wow, why does God allow that to happen? An untimely death of a young child or someone that is in their youth or in their, their growing ages and so on and is killed in a car accident or some farm accident or something, then we have a tendency to say, seriously, God, really? How easily doubt slips into our lives. And the struggle that we have with what happens in our lives is that we see everything from the bottom up, 
from our perspective. We don't see things from God's perspective in the things that happen in our lives and then doubt creeps in. Perhaps an illustration that will help you to understand this bottom up and top down and not seeing things from God's perspective will help. One of the forms of art that some of our women like to be involved in is embroidery or counted cross stitch or something, whatever they call that, right? I don't even know what it is. I mean, I see the result of it. So if you are presented with a two foot by two foot piece of embroidery with a nice farm in the background and a river going through it and so on, you might say that's a nice piece, but turn that thing around once and look at the backside. What does that look like to you? What a mess. All you see is knots and straggling and strangling little threads. I, so you might, you know, whoever's making it might try to tuck that in so it looks a little neater from the back. But you can't make out what's on the other side of that picture, can you? Now get this. Imagine that you only see one little wee square inch of that two foot by two foot from the back side. And you try to make sense of what that picture looks like. And you can't. Why? Because you need to know the creator of this and see it from the perspective of the creator of this piece of art, the one who made it. And such is our perspective on life in comparison with God's perspective. God sees everything and he says, that all makes sense to me because he's the creator of everything that goes on. He's the sovereign one. And we see only that one little wee square inch of, of the backside of something, and we say it doesn't make sense to us. And we are called upon to have faith in the one who created our life. Doubt. Then Jesus has an opportunity to respond to Thomas in verses 26 and 27. Now, we might think that Jesus being in the presence of them in the upper room that Jesus would give them a hard time. That he would say to Thomas, what is your problem? Thomas, get your act together. Thomas, I'm deeply disappointed in you. What are the first words that Jesus says to Thomas in the company of his disciples? Peace be with you. In this verse it says peace be with you, but he has already expressed that message of peace in verse 19 and verse 21 that we read just prior to this passage. That is the mission of Jesus Christ in our world today. A message of peace in the midst of conflict. Peace in a world filled with potential for doubt in our lives. And then he turns to Thomas. And I can just imagine in the room that as Jesus turns to his disciple, Thomas, that the, the other disciples are going, stepping back and going, oh, he sure is going to let him know about it now, isn't he? But you see, Jesus had heard and knew about the expression of doubt that Thomas had made. The declaration that he had expressed. And he answers each one of them. One by one. 
In verse 25, Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and Jesus answers in verse 27, see my hands. In verse 25, Thomas says, unless I put my finger where the nails were, and Jesus responds in verse 27, put your finger here. In verse 25, Thomas says, unless I put my hand into his side, and Jesus says, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus knows our doubts. And he responds to each one of the doubts that we may have. Because he's the author of belief. Of faith. And is able to set aside any doubts that we have in our lives. That's the marvel of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And then, that final statement. Unless all of these conditions are met, all of these conditions that he just said, I will never believe, he says in verse 25. And Jesus says to him, verse 27, do not disbelieve, but believe. Answering every one of his disciples questions and doubts just as he does today do we hear him audibly no but when we hear hear, have these doubts Jesus Christ who is the living word speaks to us through his scriptures encouraging us in the midst of the doubts that we have Well, then in verse 28, Thomas is responding to Jesus Christ. My Lord and my God. Now, what kind of a statement or expression is that? We have different kinds of expressions when we are surprised today, right? In our own lives, we might say, oh, oh my, you know, oh. And this is not just an expression of surprise or shock. We know that because Jesus acknowledges this expression of my Lord and my God as a legitimate expression of faith. Throughout the scriptures, throughout our lives, throughout the history of the world, the most concise profession of faith that anyone can make is to refer to God, look to God, look to Jesus Christ and say, my Lord, my God. And that's what Thomas expresses. And Jesus recognizes this as a deep confession of faith and not just a flippant expression of surprise. These words... Thomas's declaration, confession of my Lord and my God mark the climax of the gospel of John. That's the pinnacle. That's the point of the gospel of John. Remember that we said that in verse 31 that John writes his gospel, though these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And just before he presents this, we have that expression, that confession of Thomas saying, my Lord and my God, he believes that Jesus is 
the Christ. It's the pinnacle. It's the climax. It's the come together of the entire point of the gospel of John. And this confession is significant in light of the fact that by the fact that Jesus had just completed his ministry. He had said when he was on the cross, did he not? It is finished. What God has sent for me to do for my mission in the world today is completed when I went to the cross, died for your sins, and was victorious over Satan and hell and sin in our lives. It's a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we receive and respond to the call of Jesus Christ to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we respond that Jesus Christ is our Savior and has saved us from all of our sins. And that is a key point. That's what the story of the death on the cross and the resurrection is all about in the context of this passage. Jesus is our Savior. But beloved, disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus is not only your Savior. He is that. Take nothing away from that. But unless we also acknowledge him as our Lord, we will quickly go back into our patterns of sin all over again. Unless we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one to whom we owe all of our allegiance and follow him in everything that we say or do or think, we will fall back into the patterns of sin. It is not enough to accept that Jesus Christ is your Savior that saves you from your sin. We need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ, having saved us from our sin, we now everything in our lives and acknowledge him to be the Lord of our life. He is on the throne of our life. And we need to profess that. Not only that, Thomas not only says that Jesus Christ, you are my Lord, but he also says you are my God. In a world of many gods, small g today, to find the one who is the true God is an amazing thing, and Thomas declares that. Isn't that what the Gospel of John is all about? John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was. What is that Word? 14, just in that chapter, we read that Word came down and dwelt among us. That's the story of Christmas. The word is Jesus Christ dwelling, tabernacling, living among us as he lives in our hearts and our lives today. My Lord and my God, that is Jesus Christ. And then Jesus has a final lesson for Thomas, as he always does for us. If you think that in your prayers or in your dialogue with God that you have the last word and I told you so to God... Think again. You will never have the last word when it comes to our dialogue with God. God always has the last word. And so we read in verse 29. Listen to this. So Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Are you caught up with seeing is believing? That first part of the question, says Jesus. I tell you that believing is seeing. I tell you, Thomas. I tell you, disciple of Jesus Christ, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there will be many things, even in the scriptures, many things in our world that you will not understand. Many things in the scriptures that you will not understand. You are not called upon, first of all, to understand. You are called upon, first of And unless God's Holy Spirit is a part of your lives because you have made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and a commitment to be influenced by God's Holy Spirit, will you understand? I had a pastor one time who told me that it was a parishioner of his that said to him, I have understood this from the story of Jonah. It's hard to believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. It's hard to believe, but I believe it because it's in the scriptures. He said to me, he said, you know, even if that story were turned around and the story in the, the event that took place literally in were turned around and it were to be such that Jonah swallowed that great fish, I would believe it because it was written. Believing, accepting first will lead you down the path of understanding. Knowing the one who is behind that counted cross stitch, that we're behind that picture of life that we are going through, and believing him, and knowing that he's in control, is the only way that you will begin to grapple with the tougher issues of what is going on in life. And God's call to us is to believe, to have faith. In the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21, I won't recite the question and answer there, but, it is, but the question is, what is true faith? And the answer tells us that true faith is, first of all, knowledge. Knowing who God is. Knowing about God. Learning his word. Understanding the Christian doctrines taught in the Catechism as reflected in the scriptures that God tells us. It is not only knowledge about God, but it is a conviction. What I know about God, I believe. I know. That's what true faith is. Furthermore, true faith is not just knowledge. It is not just the conviction. It is the actual living out what you believe. I like to call it, for my catechism students and for my students in the seminary that I teach at, I like to say it's a matter of the head, the heart, the hands. The head knowledge, the heart conviction, the hands living it out. That's what true faith is all about. There's a lesson for us as we go through some of the various different challenges in life. Knowing that when we go through those darker times in our lives, we know that Jesus Christ accompanies us and walks us through that in these periods of doubt. He's the faithful one. We are the unfaithful one. And it is amazing for us to see and to know that God uses this tactic of Satan to his own advantage so that we grow in our faith. He uses these periods of doubt in our lives 
as a part of our own growing faith commitment. Dare I compare it to the game or the, the, the sport of karate, perhaps? I obviously am not a person who engages in karate. <laughs> but I do know that one of the goals of those who are involved in karate is to take the offensive move of your opponent. If he throws a punch, you take the momentum of that punch, and you take that punch, and you flip him right on over from the momentum that he has. From his offensive attack, you take advantage of it, and you use it to your own advantage so that you come out ahead victorious. That's what Jesus does to Satan. Every time Satan has an influence in our lives. When we turn to God, Jesus offers us the opportunity through God's Holy Spirit to, to, to turn that around so that we would grow in our faith commitment with him. Let God answer your doubts as he did with Thomas and all the Thomases, disciples of Jesus Christ, since that time as well. Let God answer your doubts and you will find refreshing growth in faith. When in doubt, turn to God. He's the only one. He's the only one who can answer. Ask God's Holy Spirit to change your thinking so that rather than saying, seeing is believing, that you would respond to everything that happens in life by saying, I want to understand until I believe. Until you say, believing is seeing. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do indeed go through different periods of doubt in our lives. It's a part of the Christian life because we are attacked on every front by Satan. It's a reality of life. You were tempted and attacked too. But we pray, Father, that when we go through these times of doubt, that you would help us to see this from, see everything that happens in our lives, not from our own perspective, not from this world's perspective, but from your perspective, because your perspective always makes sense. Even though we don't understand it, help us to believe that in faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, our Lord, and our God. In whose name we pray, amen.